His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to His and Hers Horror. My name is Tia. And I'm David. And this week, we are going to be discussing fictional serial killers. Just fictional. Just fictional. As we have stated in the past, we are not a true crime podcast. True. There are a lot of very good true crime podcasts that already exist. Fact. Yes. So I don't really feel like, I mean, they already do it really well. Yeah. So like, what would be the point? Exactly. Uh, if you want good true crime podcasts, and that's why we drink is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wine and crime is good. My favorite murder is very good. So if you want real serial killers, that's where you can head. It seemed weird to want to do fictional serial killers, kind of, because like, like I said, we're not a true crime podcast. But at the same time, they're so part of the horror mythos. Oh, absolutely. That absolutely. It would be remiss. It's another one of those situations where it would be remiss of us not to cover it at least a little. A little coverage. Right. So we might do it a couple times, just depending on how this goes. This is just like our first foray into fictional serial killers. Yes. So if we leave some out that are your favorite, they will likely be covered later. I, I tried to go with the most obvious ones. Fair enough. I did my usual thing of going for weird. Okay. Fair enough. So I do want to start, as always, with uh, the definition of a serial killer, which it's kind of changed over the years. It's still a fairly modern concept of the serial killer. So the agreed upon definition basically is a serial killer commits the unlawful killing of two or more victims in separate events. Victims are typically, they have a common trait, either gender or race Appearance. There are some serial killers that specifically go for people with blonde hair or brown hair, or blue, blue eyes, eyes yeah. that kind of thing, okay. or socioeconomic traits. So similar jobs, similar wealth or poverty level, that mm. kind of deal. Okay, so like serial killers that have gone after you know sex workers or serial killers that have gone after specifically businessmen, mm-hmm. know, things like that. Precisely. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. They tend to follow a specific behavior pattern and have a standard MO, standard modus operandi. Okay. And uh, per the FBI, the following criteria are agreed upon basically 100% to classify a serial killer. Okay. It's one or more offenders, two or more victims, and it has to be separate events or incidents of murder. So it... So spree killers are not considered serial killers so if you just in one shot over a day just wipe out 10 people even if it's in different locations if it's on a spree on a on a run yeah because it's the same day right so that would not count so you're you're saying for a serial killer they'd have to be like ma'am i'm gonna need you to stay tied up in that closet i'll come back tomorrow because i'm at my limit well, I mean, I, I don't think that's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Th- yeah, I don't. I don't think any serial killer, fictional or real, no. has, has ever been like. Ooh, oop, I gotta oop, hold off. I gotta stop. I gotta stop, or I'm gonna be considered a spree killer. I'll see you. Till, I'll see you later, though. No, I don't think it works like it does not work like that. <laughs> well, because there's also usually some sort of. Um, sometimes it can, there can be triggers, or there are certain things, certain conditions that are required. Things that set them off. Or, right. Or, but, or there are certain things that they need in place in order to, I, I hate to use the term to get off, but like okay. to, to, to be satisfied in, the, in their murderous some sort Some sort of release. Exactly. It's not necessarily sexual. A lot of the times it is. But it could also be a cathartic release. Uh, exactly. A, a release yeah. of tension. Precisely. It, you know, it, it's basically the extreme version of going out into the woods and screaming and maybe you feel better. Yeah. Except usually, in this case, the serial killer is not the one screaming. It's the person they're killing. But yeah. That got dark. No, I, I mean, hi, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
with that being said, I don't really want to focus any more on the the reality. I feel I feel like with those parameters set, it kind of helps us to I I having those parameters set also helped me to rule some people out. Absolutely. When it came to looking at fictional serial killers, be like, okay, this person doesn't really count or that kind of thing. It was, it was very weird. So when I think of fictional serial killers, the first thing that comes to mind for me would have to be the silence of the lambs films. Basically the, the film series that is based off of the Thomas Harris Hannibal Lecter. Okay, so Books. so Manhunter and 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 all that. Yeah, Manhunter, Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon, uh, Hannibal, Hannibal Rising. So Hannibal Lecter is obviously one of the bigger ones. One of the fun things I decided I wanted to do with this episode mm-hmm. is include body counts. Ooh, I yeah, I thought I thought that would be interesting. So Hannibal Lecter, it, it was a little more difficult than I thought it was going to be, but after some digging, I was able to kind of figure out what basically most other horror heads say is the is the agreed upon victim tally for certain for certain killers so Hannibal Lecter it's typically anywhere between 28 and 44 victims yikes basically he is he is you know cannibal everybody knows you know Hannibal the cannibal nom 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 he is extremely intelligent very charismatic very cultured Mm mm-hmm but he is deeply offended by rudeness. Huh, well. So, I know. <laughs> so, he often ends up killing people with bad manners or that have offended him in some way. Like, I, there's one instance that he was on the, I think it was the Baltimore Symphonic. Oh, the, the Philharmonic, the board, yeah. The Philharmonic. He was on the board for that. And there was a flautist who was not very, particularly not good. Which, how did, how did they get into the film Harmonic anyway, if they I, weren't that good? Yeah. They, like, somebody knew somebody that got them the gig. Who, who knows, honestly. And they he ends up being, you know, killed for that, essentially. Right. He also has a keen sense of smell and an eidetic memory, mm-hmm. which basically... I'm trying to remember exactly what eidetic memory. It's basically Hi. like... Yeah, you. You have an eidetic <laughs> memory. <laughs> um, another... Well, another person in pop culture that has that would, has an eidetic memory would be Dr. Reed from Criminal yeah. Minds. Mine's so. not quite as good as his, but... Right. One thing I do want to quickly go into when it comes to Hannibal Lecter, there's a scene in Red Dragon that always bothers me. Okay. And that is, it's at the very beginning, so don't worry, this, there's, this isn't a spoiler, but there's a scene where he's, it's after that flautist has disappeared, and mm-hmm. he's having a, throwing an, it's basically an annual dinner party that he throws for the symphonic board. And this woman is like, what is this amazing amuse-bouche? And the amount of food that is on the plate is not an amuse-bouche. That, that was like four bites worth of food at least. Right, because an amuse-bouche is typically like one bite. Yeah, it should be a small bite. It should not be a whole plate of food. And that just always bugs me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's next on the menu at that right? point. Because I'm pretty sure Hannibal Lecter would know that that is not an amuse-bouche. Right, exactly. So here, here, here's where foodie, foodiness and horror collide. And now we're critiquing someone eating human. Well, you know. We did go into quite a bit during the, the cannibal episode, so there you go. The next one from the Thomas Harris series would be James Gum, aka Buffalo Bill. Oh yeah, yeah, that guy. Wait, I don't Wait. do it as well. I don't do it as well as other people do. Wait, was, was she a big girl? Is that a man? Is that Amanda on Wine and Crime that does that really well? Yes, uh, yes, Amanda <laughs> does that really well. But he has uh, six to eleven victims. Uh, essentially, he basically he kid- he kidnaps overweight women uh, and then starves them to kind of loosen up their skin from their body. And then after skinning them, dumps them in a river. And he also inserts a uh, death's head moth into their throat. The thinking behind that being that uh, he's fascinated by the insect's metamorphosis hmm. because he's not happy within his own skin, basically. There's a lot of things about Buffalo Bill that, in hindsight, are, are problematic. Yeah, rather prob- problematic. Among them, ruining the song Goodbye Horses. Well, yeah, that's one of the more trivial. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I meant actually problematic. <laughs> okay. The last one I have from the Thomas Harris series would be 
Francis Dollarhide. Yes. AKA the Tooth Fairy, AKA the Great Dragon. Anywhere from 12 to 14 victims mm. he had. Essentially, he targets families. He works for a film processing place in St. Louis, actually. Yep. And basically, people send in their home videos to have them compiled. And he that's how he finds his victims, essentially. Right. After killing them, he smashes all the mirrors in the house and puts shards in their eyes. Basically, he wants them... He arranges the corpses like an audience. Right. And then afterwards... Basically, once he's got them all arranged, sexually assaults the corpse of the mother of the family. Dude's got issues. Yeah. Yeah, quite a bit. Some of them, uh, it's it's laid out that he suffered extreme abuse. Yes. Growing up. So he's one of those that was not the born a monster versus made a monster argument. This was one of those people who was made into a monster. Absolutely. Still a very interesting character. Rather tragic figure, really. I mean, especially when you know his his backstory. Mm-hmm. There, there's a there's a, a romance line. If you're not familiar with Red Dragon, there, there's a bit of a romance line in it, and it made me really hope for this redemption arc. And he did try. He tried to stop for for her. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, it didn't work. No. Yeah. So the next series that I have. And this one took several days for me to get because I had to go back and when I decided to do body counts, I had to, I didn't have time to rewatch the entire series. Mm -hmm. So I had to go back and rewatch all of the kill count episodes on Dead Meat and kind of decide, okay, who's responsible for what bodies, which ones can I count? Oh, wow. So, so this was a dissection of a previously counted list. Basically, because... With the way that the kill count is done, they just, he just counts, there's a dead body, that's, that goes on the right, list. Right, which is, which is totally awesome. Yeah, exactly. It's, and it's super fun to watch and it's super helpful. But when you're looking at something that you need to be a little bit more nuanced, as far as who actually is responsible, it can take a little bit more time. I, I would agree. So I looked at, this would be the Saw franchise, mm. basically. Okay. So I kind of had to, because you don't just have John Kramer, a.k.a. Jigsaw. You also have to have his accomplices. So I had to look at, okay, how many victims were John's? How many were Amanda's? How many were Mark's? I, it ended up being quite a bit. And there's still some that I'm not sure I, I gave them to the right person. But I'm like, okay, this is just what I'm going to go with. Fair enough. So as far as John Kramer goes, the ones that I decided were definitively his, mm-hmm. so body count of about 39. And so these are basically people that were put in traps and died. These were people that were in traps and died. Yes. Fair. There was one trap that I, the traps that we knew were relegated to other people mm-hmm. or that he didn't sanction. I didn't count for him. And there's one trap that is in seven that I'm not sure was his. Just because it seems like a, a setup for Hoffman's whole thing. Right. With getting to Jill Tuck and, and getting revenge on that one eye detective. Mm-hmm. And that's the uh, junkyard the junkyard trap with the skinheads. Yeah, yeah that's that's pure Hoffman. That's, that screams Hoffman. To me. Yeah. So that was one of the ones that I actually attributed to Hoffman instead of John Kramer. Good. So yeah, John Kramer, I'm looking at about 39. Amanda Young, actually only four. That actually seems right, because, I mean, she she was truly an apprentice, so a lot of the stuff that could have been attributed to her, she basically, it was shake and bake, and she helped. Right. She didn't actually make the trap. She, you know, she may have, you know, donned a pig mask and gotten somebody, but that was it. Yeah, but, like, the traps, these 100% death traps where there was no way out, two of them were hers, and one of them was for Detective Carrie, the other one was for that guy Troy, those were both both no-win situations. She also suffocated Adam. Yeah. So, yeah. I I don't know. Only four. The next highest, next to John Kramer himself, is actually Mark Hoffman. Okay. At 25. Yikes. But here's the thing with that. A lot of those were technically from his spree at the end of six and the end of seven, mm. where he's... So, the end of six, where he kills all those 
the three folks at the FBI place. Oh, yeah, in the, in the tech lab. Yeah, where he just, like, boom, 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 kills all three of them. No, no traps, just bang, he's, bang. Yeah. And then at the police station at the end of Seven, where he's got, like, the coroner, the coroner's assistant, a bunch of detectives, and it's, it's just crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy amount of bodies. The only death trap that's not attributed to Amanda Young is the one that Hoffman did before he actually got involved with Jigsaw, and that's the Seth Baxter trap. Right. With the pendulum. And the last one we have is Logan Nelson, who is from Jigsaw, the the most recent film in the franchise. Unfortunately, we don't have Spiral yet, so these numbers could change. Like Lawrence Gordon, I have on here as an accomplice, but he technically doesn't have any kills because we don't know for sure if Hoffman's dead or not. We never saw a body. Right. And I go with I go with the with dead meat on that. If there's no body, I don't know for sure that they're dead. Yeah. And yeah, I agree with James too. Yes. Yeah. That's a good way to Yeah, I'm not gonna es- count it. <laughs> especially in horror. If you don't see a body and actually half the time if you do see a body, depending on the horror franchise. Yeah. Depending on what brand of horror you're doing, yeah. But Logan Nelson has five. Okay. So Ooh, that laser one. Yeah, the laser one where the head with the head blossom is kinda cool. Um, Come to Outback for Bloomin' Head. <laughs> oh, gross. So, John Kramer, otherwise known as Jigsaw, basically he targets people who in some way take their lives for granted or need to be taught a lesson. So, cutter, like people he's... Well, and, there, and James has brought this up too with some of his stuff. It's like, okay, you're picking on that person for that? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean some, some of them I get, you know. Oh, you you have all this privilege and and you could do something with it, but instead you you know poison yourself with drugs. Okay, yeah, cool, whatever. Yeah. But like, you take pills because you're depressed. So does half the freaking world, dude. Shut up. Yeah. I love I love that joke where where James is like, oh no, she takes SSRIs. Better kill her. <laughs> like yeah. Oops. I guess by that definition, I belong in a trap too. Oh no. But I don't know. It's very interesting. He basically, there's that also that argument of does he really actually kill anybody? Because he does want people to succeed. He wants you to get out of the trap. But then again, he's also, there are also traps where it puts two people against each other where one of them has to die. So it's kind of a weird slippery slope kind of thing. But yeah, he puts people in traps that require them to earn their freedom through some sort of sacrifice. sacrifice. Usually it's a um, mutilation-y sacrifice. Five and six are my favorites. Yeah, in the in the series, we'll we'll do a whole we'll do a whole episode about Saw at some point. Oh we'll yeah, we'll, we'll do a, we'll do a full Saw Redux. Yeah. So as far as film series that have serial killers, those are the main two. Mm-hmm. So I also have a list of like one-off films where this is the only film that they had. Right. Essentially, the first one is Seven. Ah yes. Which John Doe is. It's one of those ones where, given given the stuff that we know now about Kevin Spacey, it may be hard to go back and watch. But at the same time, he's barely in it. And Brad Pitt does an amazing job. Morgan Freeman does an amazing job. It's such a good movie. And they put so much work into it that... I feel like if you can find a way to watch it that doesn't result in Kevin Spacey getting any kind of residuals, go for it. Absolutely. Not not illegally, but like if you can rent it from your library or borrow it for a friend or if it's free to watch online somewhere that's legal, then go for it. Absolutely. Like I already own it. I'm not going to throw it away. So the killer in that is uh, he's only ever referred to as John Doe. We right. never find out. We never find out anything about him. We never find out his real name. Or any of his background, which I honestly think makes him creepier. Yeah, I don't even know what he likes to eat. Who knows what he likes to eat. But uh, his body count is six, technically. I know it's called seven, but there's only six dead bodies in the film that he is responsible for. Mm -hmm. Basically, the murders are inspired by the seven deadly sins. And one thing that was pointed out in a breakdown video that i watched at one point Mm -hmm. when it comes to seven is john doe is extremely meticulous when it comes to planning this stuff i mean that sloth kill that was a year of going back to that apartment and checking on that guy to make sure he was still alive yeah that i mean that's more care than a plant yeah 
there was a lot of time and money spent on these. That being said, the final bit with Detective Mills in the Mm -hmm. desert with the head in the box, I feel like because Mills has only been in town and on the case for a week, that has to have been thought up at the last minute, which means that there have to be two other bodies out there somewhere, right? At least, at least like one, there if has not to two. be there ha- there like realistically, you would think there's there's there has to be a wrath out there that's already been done or planned, as, as well as an enemy that's already been done or planned, and he either already did them and we haven't found their bodies yet, or he scrapped it just to fuck with Detective Mills. Well, what if what if his entire game plan was to make himself wrath anyway? Make himself envy, you mean? Well, no, to make him the target of. Oh, to, to make himself to the ca- target of wrath. Right. Right, and he needed. Well, because you, I, I think he wouldn't have gotten that with Somerset. Somerset wouldn't have wouldn't have shot him. Mm. So he he needed someone like Mills. No, he would have just read his rights to him in a calm, soothing voice. I don't know. I feel like there's. <laughs> Either he had plans that he scrapped or there are other bodies that have yet to be found. That's yeah. my that's my takeaway from it. That's a good point. Um, the next one I have also features Morgan Freeman. And that is uh, Kiss the Girls. Uh, yes. Which mm. is based on the James Patterson, Alex Cross book of the same name. There are actually two serial killers in that one. Yes. Uh, one being Nick Ruskin, a.k.a. Casanova. The other being William Rudolph, a.k.a. The Gentleman Caller. Ruskin has about six victims that we know of. And his whole thing is basically kidnapping women who are beautiful and exceptional in some way. Mm-hmm. So like Alex's niece, Naomi, he kidnaps because not only is she beautiful, but she's an expert violinist. He kidnaps a doctor and basically, there has to be something special about her other than her just being beautiful. And he essentially he holds these women captive in what essentially is an underground harem. And he's got a set of rules. And if you break the rules, that's when he kills you. So it's a power trip. Yeah, basically. I mean, more than anything, it's a power trip. He likes to be in control. And it's also a psychological thing where he he believes he loves all of these women. And he believes that they love him, too. And so it's a very it's also a very psychological mm-hmm. thing. William Rudolph, however, uh, the gentleman caller, he has at least four victims that we know of. And in addition to, you know, also, as far as we know, do, you know, sexual assault of the victim prior to death, he keeps body parts as trophies. Yes. So like when they get when they find his trophy room, there's like feet. feet. That are like vacuum packed. I mean, for freshness. Right. Well, because it's also like, I think it's also a cold room. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's really weird. It's a good movie. I highly recommend it. I just wish they would have done more with the Four Horsemen series and the Alex Cross novels. Yeah. They Maybe someday. Maybe. They've tried a couple times to do Alex Cross over. They tried to reboot the series and it just didn't work. Yeah, but they were doing it with later novels. I'm talking about the Four Horsemen series that I believe starts with Pop Goes the Weasel. If if you if you if you want some, the Four Horsemen are scary. Yeah, this gentleman color is just creepy. Yeah, that's fair. my take. So the last movie one I have is uh, the Bone Collector, which is a mid '90s movie with Denzel Washington. Uh, Angelina Jolie, I think it was it was either before or right around the same time she did Girl Interrupted. Yeah. But um, the killer in that is a guy named uh, Marcus Andrews, alias Richard Thompson. And he has six victims. So Marcus, essentially, he's a former forensic expert. And he is motivated by revenge against Lincoln Rhyme, who's played by Denzel Washington. Basically, Rhyme wrote this paper. He Rhyme is also a forensics expert. And he wrote this paper accusing Marcus of planting evidence. Basically, the planting of evidence resulted in wrongful convictions. One of the wrongful conviction actually ended up killing themselves as a result. Oh, wow. So based on that testimony, Marcus was arrested, tried, sent to prison and he blames Rhyme not only for his imprisonment, but for the abuse that he suffered while mm. being in prison. Because, of course, as is said, you know, in a lot of media, 
cops don't do well in prison. No. <laughs> so his whole thing is he is replicating crimes from an old novel called The Bone Collector. So it's very forensically technical, but it's interesting the way that they go about it because Rhyme's character is quadriplegic. So he can't, he's basically in charge of the investigation, but he can't leave his apartment. So it's people bringing stuff to him and him having to look through other people's eyes, essentially. It's a very good movie. I highly recommend it. But yeah, that's all I have as far as movies goes. Did you have any movies that you wanted to talk about? I do have movies. And since you set the ground rules, I'll I'll bring it up and you can tell me if they qualify. How's oh, that sound? Sounds good. Yeah, let's go all for right. it, man. And some of these you may have heard of, some of them you may have not heard of. As far as films, what about Henry? From uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer? I mean, it's in the title. Yeah. I mean, Michael Rooker looks completely terrifying. Uh, just, he looks like a serial killer in, in the film. I mean, I'm sure he's a perfectly fine person. film was directed by John McNaughton in 1986. It's one I've wanted to see for a while, but I've never been able to find find it easily. And we just didn't have time before recording to watch it. If if we had 500 hours to prep for every episode, we would use it. Oh my god, right? Uh, how about uh, The Stepfather from both the 1987 and 2009 remake? I had him on my... I have both of those actually on my honorable mentions list. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, I... Because I, I haven't seen the original Stepfather. I've seen the remake. I haven't seen the remake, but I've seen the original. Yeah, I saw the remake that had um, What's-His-Face from Nip Tuck and uh, Penn Bagley. Okay. I have no idea who any of the actors were in the 1987. I was a kid. Terry O'Quinn, I think, was one of them. Cool. Uh, (laughs) Did you know that the stepfather is actually... You you mentioned that you had him on an honorable mention list. You know that the stepfather character is based off of John List? I did not. An actual killer. An actual killer. Okay. I found one that uh, I definitely still want to see. I have not been able to get a copy of it yet. Still waiting. Okay. What? No, I'm just, I'm excited now. I want to know what this is. It is, uh, I Saw the Devil. Oh, right. I have heard of that one. It's a, uh, it's technically a 2010 uh, psychological thriller slash action flick. Yeah. But. Is that Korea? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, South Korea. That looked really interesting to me. The whole premise, basically, you've got this bus driver who's also a murderer and an NIS agent that's trying to get revenge on him. It just The stuff that's coming out of South Korea right now is really impressive, and I, I want to see more. I want to consume more. South Korean and Japanese horror in general tends to be very good. Uh, I have another one that sort of counts. Okay. And that is Sid 6.7 from Virtuosity. Oh, yeah. That was another one you wanted to watch. Uh, well, I, I've seen it before back in 1995. So it's been a minute. Yeah. Russell Crowe basically plays the physical embodiment of all of the worst serial killers combined into one person. Wait, it's Russell Crowe? Yes, that's Russell Crowe. That sounds awesome. Super duper young Russell Crowe. Nice. That sounds interesting. Yeah. I'd be down for that. Why would you want to put all of the worst killers in a blender and download their psyches in into one place? That, I don't know. That sounds like some Rick, Ch- Rick Sanchez science right there. <laughs> I think that's beyond Rick Sanchez. That's that's he, a bit too far. That that's... I mean, he did combine Abraham Lincoln and Adolf Hitler, so. <laughs> yeah, okay. Fair enough. What about Peter and Paul? From Funny Games? Yes. Yeah. I think they would count because there's there's both the original 1997 and the 2007 English remake. Well, they could also be considered, I feel like they could be more considered spree killers because as far as we know, granted, we haven't seen either of the films yet. It's just the three the three people in the, that family and it's just that day. But, but this so seems this seems like their thing they do. It could so, be. Yeah, it so, could be like a the strangers where it's like they just do this kind of thing. Right. Who knows? Let's see. Um there's another film one that Yeah, I would cons- yeah, I would include him. Okay, so Norman Bates, Psycho. Cuz especially if you look at the expanded universe when it comes to like Bates Motel and stuff like that, then yeah, definitely. We've also got Harriet from So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yeah, although it turns out to not be her. It turns out to be <laughs> the the serial killer in that one is she's called Mrs. X and she's like a black widow. Mm-hmm. And everybody basically the whole movie, it, you're it, Harriet's a red herring. Right. But yeah, that one would count. So, also. so Mrs. X would count. Mrs. X. Yeah. yeah. 
And finally, this is one that I'm definitely on the lookout for because it looks like a lot of fun. Okay. I had never heard of this. I I am on the hunt for this film. It's called Sightseers. It was uh, directed by Ben Wheatley. Is that the one you were talking about with the bored couple on vacation? Yeah, it's a it's a British horror comedy. You've got a couple. Uh, Tina and Chris, played by Alice Lowe and Steve Oram, uh, they're generally unhappy, and they basically turn to murder on well, holiday. Like to spice up their marriage or something? or <sighs> Who knows? Uh, the, the notes I was able to find were, let's see, some of their reasons for murder were social justice, boredom, and coveting a rival couple's dog. <laughs> now, again, this is a horror comedy, but, you know... It, right, right. I've seen horror comedies that are scarier than just straight up horror because they're more realistic. I mean, how how many times have have you made a decision on a fuck it, let's do it type thing? I mean, even if it's just, hey, we could we could use this in our apartment or, you know what? We could cook dinner, but let's order pizza. Right. (laughs) Granted, killing someone is is, you know, a completely different activity. End of that spectrum. But it still starts with that same decision point. Fair. Fair. Fair enough. I mean, I had friends that would be like, fuck it, let's get a cat. And I'm like, that's... Do you know anything about cats? It's a really deep... <laughs> you realize that's that's an investment. Like, you're going to have to, like, buy it food and a place for it to go... Depending on how, the age of the cat, when you get the cat, that's a 10 to 13 year investment. And vet bills. And pee. Yeah. Did you have any other movie ones that you wanted to mention before I move on to TV? Uh, what about parents? Do they count? Not my parents. No, not your parents. <laughs> the 1989 film. Yeah. I think we briefly mentioned that in the Cannibals episode. Yeah. But yeah, the Cannibal Serial Killers definitely I mean, count. I mean, there's some overlap. Generally speaking, I have not seen very many films where cannibals go to the store to get their human meat. So, you know, you gotta kind of... Right. Eat, eat what you kill. So. Fair. Yeah, that is true. So moving on to TV, there's only, I'm in this thing right now where I'm trying not to mention stuff that I haven't seen, just because I feel like I want to speak with authority. Absolutely. If that makes any kind of sense. So I really just have two main shows, and they are probably the most obvious ones. The first one, of course, is Dexter. And I kind of picked my fate, my the, the obvious one, and then like the, my two other main favorite serial killers from Dexter. Mm-hmm. The obvious one would be Dexter himself. Right. So uh, Dexter Morgan, a.k.a. the Bay Harbor Butcher. How many victims do you think he's got? 40. The actual tally is anywhere between 135 and 163 victims. Which Shows how many episodes of that I watched. I, I, I well, watched, I think, about six. I, I gave up after I stopped watching pr- not long after uh, after the season with the Trinity Killer. Mm. So Dexter basically, as a result of some trauma he suffered as a child, has what he calls his dark passenger. So he's got this desire to kill. And his stepfather kind of gave him these rules to follow, like, don't get caught, only kill bad people, like other like. So basically, he only kills other serial killers that have or people that have um evaded the justice system in some way so people that have been found not guilty by you know reason of insanity or uh witness tampering something basically they're guilty but they're not being punished for what they've done see so that that kind of steps it up on the stepfather line because you know i mean you know a cool stepfather would be like look i know you know you're a young man you have interest and needs just please you know, lock the door or something if you're going to be doing that. Or, look, I'd rather, if you and a couple of your friends want to just, you know, drink or smoke weed, I'd rather you do it here where you're safe. Yeah. You know, that's understandable. But, hey, if you're going to go out killing people, only kill bad guys and don't get caught. Yeah. That's that's a whole, that's that's a leap and a bound. Yeah. And and the thing about Dexter is he's a metic- he's meticulous in his planning, except for the times that he's not. And the handful of times when he's not, it goes, it breaks so bad that you just get so angry at him when you're like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? 
like one particular serial killer, he has multiple opportunities to take this guy out and does not do it until it's too late. And until he's lost a family member due to this guy. It's 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 so infuriating. Oh, God. It's a great. Well, it was a great show for a while. And then it got really weird in the later seasons, like the whole thing where suddenly his adopted sister's in love with him. And then the ending apparently was very bad. Again, I stopped watching after season three or three or four, I think. Yeah. The next one from Dexter that is a favorite is uh, Brian Mosier, a.k.a. the Ice Truck Killer. He was uh, from season one. Season one. Yeah, I I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you didn't watch a whole lot of the show, you probably at least know him. Yeah. 15 victims. Mm. Basically, he drains victims of their blood before dismembering them and then will like display their body parts in some way. So his whole thing was trying to reconnect. It, It turned out that he was actually Dexter's biological older brother and was trying to like reconnect with him in some way. And it just... I don't know. Could you could you have not started with maybe a, a card or a nicely worded letter? Who knows? I don't know. It's really weird. But the the big one, other other than Dexter, the big serial killer from from the show would be Arthur Mitchell, aka the Trinity Killer, hmm. played perfectly by John Lithgow. Just so good because he goes from zero to a hundred on the crazy scale so quickly. It's amazing. At least 279 victims. Yikes. Yeah. He's called the Trinity Killer because initially it was thought that he would kill in sets of three. He would kill a woman in the bathtub. He would go to somebody into suicide, uh, another woman into suicide, and then he would bludgeon a man to death. But there was, they finally figured out, or Dexter at least figured out, that there was actually a secret fourth victim that would always start the cycle. And that was a little boy. Basically, he would he would kidnap a little boy, hold him for a certain period of time, and then bury him alive. Yikes. And essentially what this was doing is they were representations of his own family. Right. Because uh, his sister died in the bath after she slipped and fell when she caught him watching her in the, in the shower. His mother committed suicide as a result of that. His father was beaten to death outside of a bar after he turned to alcoholism. And then the little boy is meant to be a representation of Arthur's, I think it's like his innocence mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. But yeah, the that he's the one who Dexter had multiple opportunities to kill and chose not to because he saw him living, you know, happy family man, but also operating his serial killer lifestyle and wanted to know how he managed to do that because this was right uh, right after he and Rita got married. Mm. And he was like, well, if this guy can do it, maybe I can learn from him. Unfortunately, realized too late that that was not the case. And uh, after he finally killed Arthur Mitchell, came home to find Rita dead in the bathtub. rut Yeah. Sad trombone. Exactly. So my last television show and thing that I have that I'm going to go into in any kind of depth Uh, would be Criminal Minds. I don't know how big or how popular the show is outside of the United States. It's not even really that, it was never, not even as far as I know, really that popular in the United States, except in certain circles. Yeah. My mom and I are both, have have always been really big fans of it. And it's one of those shows I'll just rewatch occasionally, um, just because I really like the characters and it's just very interesting. So I basically picked my four favorites. Favorite seems like a weird word to say, but you know. Most interesting or entertaining. Right, exactly. The where, because Criminal Minds isn't always about serial killers. That's not their, that's not all that they do. That's not all that the BAU investigates. But there are four main ones from this history of the show that I feel are amazing. As far as their, the way they, the way they depicted their methodology, and just how much they fuck with the team, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah. So the first one is Peter Lewis, a.k.a. Mr. Scratch. So he has uh, seven victims, but here's the thing. All but one of those of his victims are by proxy. He very rarely actually kills anybody himself. He basically drugs and uh, hypnotizes his victims and makes them kill. Uh, occasionally he'll make them assume a new identity 
initially it was just a thing to do as part of his methodology. Right. But he started to kind of focus on the team. And so he would do stuff just to fuck with them. So hypnotizing some someone to make them carve the letters B-A-U on their stomach or hypnotizing a woman and making her say Hotch's name over and over and over again. And that kind of thing. The, the worst one in my mind, the wor- one of the worst ones that he ever did was he kidnapped a man and hypnotized him and made him believe that he was Tara Lewis's younger brother in order to get her and several other agents to figure out where her brother actually was in an attempt to kill them. It was, yeah, it's, it's messed up. Like this is the, this is the guy that ended up being such a problem that Hotch and his son had to go into witness protection because he started stalking Hotch's son. Fun fact though, the surnames of all the guest characters from his premiere episode are the same as characters from The Exorcist. Cool. So there's uh, Daniel Karras. There's actually, there is a uh, Christine McNeil mm. character in the in that episode. The next one will be another one that messed with Hotch a lot. So a lot of people will be familiar with this one if they're fans of the show at all. And that's George Foyette, oh, yeah. uh, a.k.a. The Reaper. Uh, about 36 victims, it's okay. been agreed upon, would usually approach stranded couples with some sort of a ruse, like pretending to be a cop or something like that. But the, his actual MO varied. Sometimes he would shoot them. Sometimes he would stab them, bludgeon them to death. It just kind of, it varied. The one constant was he would take an item from each crime scene and leave it at the next one. Kind of to say, yeah, I was there too. Yeah. We were on the right path. Yeah, exactly. So there was one crime scene where he took the girl's watch. And then at the next crime scene, he left the watch there and took the victim's wedding ring. And, and then so on and so forth, like stuff like that. And he was another one that he got off on the power of it. So he was actually someone that was being investigated when it was like one of Hotch's first cases when he got into the BAU. Mm. And he made a, basically he made a deal with the detective at the time because they were not close to catching him and told the detective, I will stop killing basically got him to sign some sort of he's like if you stop looking for me i'll stop killing and the detective agreed to the contract and the guy stopped killing and then right like basically the day after that detective finally died he started killing again and he ended up offering later on the same deal to hotch and hotch turned him down and so that's why he ended up targeting him Mm. and going after his family George Foyette is actually the guy who killed Hotch's ex-wife right. and tried to kill his kid. Uh, the next one is Frank Breitkopf, who was uh, played by Keith Carradine. Okay. Over 177 victims. Yikes. Yeah. He targeted people who were, quote, unwanted by society. So runaways, drug abusers, gang members, stuff like that. People, people in the, on the fringe, so to speak. He basically, he would kidnap the victims, drug them, and then force them to watch their own vivisections. Oh, that's some rough shit. Yeah. Uh, He would remove organs and dismember them while they were still alive and would, like, cauterize the wounds to keep them alive longer. And uh, later on, he actually started removing rib bones. He would remove a single rib bone from each victim and use them to make wind chimes for Jane. Jane was a victim of his. She She was a runaway. And he actually ended up letting her go because when he when she woke up and he was getting ready to start the vivisection, she looked and she said she looked into his eyes and she just felt peace and calm. And so she wasn't scared. And because she wasn't scared, it, it, it ruined basically it ruined the experience for him. He couldn't do it. And so he ended up letting her go. But he would always return every every so often when he was in her neck of the woods again, he would leave one of these wind chimes made of rib bones on her porch. He would also always dump the bodies in remote areas near Interstate 80. He basically went back and forth along Interstate 80, killing people. And it took them forever to connect it because they were in different jurisdictions. So that's the whole thing with with those murders being so far apart different police departments, especially in different states, don't necessarily talk unless there's a reason. And so they never put two and two together, which is probably why his number got so high. The last one I have... Oh, wait, no, I forgot I have two more. 
Sorry. <laughs> I thought you said you had four. I forgot I added a fifth one. The surprise fifth serial I know, killer. I'm sorry. I, I The more I looked at him, the more I was like, he's just so creepy. But I'll be very brief on that one. The fourth one is actually the one that I think is one of the most brutal, and that's Tommy Yates, uh, a.k.a. the Womb Raider. Over 103 victims. Basically, he he hates women, like, to, like, a horrible extent, uh, and essentially was would remove victims reproductive organs after stabbing them the thing that i think makes him even worse is after his capture and imprisonment he tortured david rossi for basically eight years before he was finally killed because before he was actually sentenced to death row he refused to talk refused to answer any of the bau's questions Mm -hmm. and then after he was imprisoned he sent them a list of like 40 names because a lot of his victims were unknown. Right. So he basically made a deal with Rossi that said, I will give you a new name once a year, every year on a day that I choose, as long as you come and visit me. And so every year on his birthday, Rossi has to go visit Tommy Yates on Rossi's birthday. Yeah, which is why he doesn't like his birthday. Exactly. So the last one I have is Billy Flynn, a.k.a. the Prince of Darkness. And the only reason I feel like I have to mention him is because he's played by uh, Tim Curry. Which was fantastic. Which was really good and very creepy. He essentially would like break into houses and uh, shoot almost everyone in the house. He would typically leave at least one victim alive. And he actually used the rolling blackouts in L.A. to his advantage, which is also very creepy. The only other two TV ones I have are from shows I haven't watched. So I'm just going to mention them real quick. Uh, Red John from The Mentalist okay. and Joe Carroll from The Following. I haven't watched either of those shows, but I know my mom used to watch The Mentalist and I feel like I had to at least mention Red John for her. Fair enough. Did you have any from TV? Nope. No? <laughs> I don't watch TV, so... I mean... We haven't had cable in how long? Well, we also haven't needed it, so... Fair. There you go. So I think that's going to wrap it up for us today on... Uh, well, wait, what? What about video games? Oh, right. Video games. Shit, I forgot. The thing you told me to look into. <laughs> Listen, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. My brain doesn't always work well. So, I went outside the box because, you know, in, in my base level research, you know, people are like, oh, oh, evil within, evil within, evil within. I don't own either game. So I did the next best thing, and I watched uh, probably close to 12 and a half hours worth of gameplay. Oh, God. Yeah. We tried to play. I tried to play the first one. Yeah, and I didn't feel like reinstalling it. So here's the thing. This character, Ruvik, also known as Ruben Victoriano, and major spoilers for anyone who hasn't played the game yet, but 99% of the game takes place in Ruvik's mind in the first game. So any killings that are taking place there are in his mind. Yeah. You as a detective and other people and this doctor all go into this person's mind, where if you die there, you die in real life. It's kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street, but you're in their mind instead of your own. It's not killing. It's thoughts. I've had mean thoughts. I've had bad thoughts. I mean, none of them have killed anyone, but it's not really a killer. But I did find one major serial killer, and this killer is actually in a lot of different games. Okay. It's you, the player. I mean, yeah, technically. Because I don't care if it's Skyrim or Far Cry or, you know, whatever else. You know, it starts out as a mission thing, and then you just, you go into a place, you see people wearing a certain thing or whatever, and you just go, oh, well, they're probably going to attack me, so I'm just going to take them out. Now, you, you can mark that off as survival, or are you just a serial killer? I mean, I was going to kind of be like, well, is it really? But then I got to thinking about, I'm playing Far Cry 3 right now, and I do have a very specific way I like to go about clearing an enemy stronghold. <laughs> See? So, <laughs> in a sense, you get a feel for it. Just when, when, you, when you save and quit your game, and you head off to the shops to get some food, or... or or, you know, you you go to work, or whether you're working from home, or, or you go to a location to work. Leave the killing in the game. That's yeah, all I'm going to say. Fair. Yeah, I looked at... I considered putting Mark Jefferson from Life is Strange on the list. Mm-hmm. But because of the whole rewinding time thing, 
it's very hard to parse. Yeah. And again, having not played that game, I I don't know. Trying reading all the stuff on the wikis and everything was very it broke my brain. <laughs> An honorable mention for serial killers in video games is the origami killer. From Heavy Rain? Yes. Yeah. And the only reason I'm giving him an honorable mention is, one, I know the whole story. I haven't played it, but I know the whole story because, sadly, my, my next best thing to, if I'm unable to get a game or don't have a system that plays that game, I watch a relatively skilled person play the entire thing. Yeah. And that is soul draining. I mean, it's fun for a while, but then you're like, you start judging them. It's one of those games that seems also like it would be very depressing. Yeah, it it, it it is. I know we've discussed it briefly before, but... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, a fairly good game from, from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that's all I have. Okay. So now... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. It's cool. I apologize about myself. No, you be you. I love you anyway. I love you too. So I think... That I think that's gonna cover us. That's yes. gonna wrap. Are we good? Yes, we're good. Are we good? All right, cool. I just wanted to double check. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, as always, you can uh, follow us on Twitter at H Two Horrorcast. We are on uh, Facebook, uh, His and Hers Horror. You can also email us at H uh, Two Horrorcast at gmail dot com. We are getting to the point where we might maybe have merch sometime soon in the future now that we have official logos and everything i actually i ordered myself a pop socket that has our logo on it and it looks really cool so now i want to like get them and have them as part of our merch if that makes any kind of i don't know sure yeah anyway until next time i'm tia and i'm still david and thank you for listening all right Music for this episode was Out of Time by Shane Ivers of Silverman Sound. Our artwork was created by Catherine Nixon.